Welcome to No Truth Culture, where you know truth or you have no truth. I'm your host, Mr. Misunderstood, and I'll be having the distinct privilege and honor of helping you rip the Band-Aid off when it comes to all things truth in culture today. As always, to stay up to date with all things No Truth Culture, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or click on the link in the show notes or the episode description. To help support us here financially, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or click on the link in the show notes or episode description. And once on the website, click on support. Well, without further ado, buckle up and get ready because it's time to rip the band-aid off so the truth can set you free. Welcome back to the program. We have a lot to cover on this week's edition of the program. Uh, the overall theme will be sacrifice. So let's get right into it. It's going to be punching you right in the face this week with the sacrificing of yourself. And oh, it's going to be good. So let's get into what we're going to cover right away because there's a lot to go over. So turning manure into fertilizer is praise a sacrifice. We're going to take a look at that one, the Bible trivia for the week, and uh, the question of the week, is God committed to you when you sin? So we will answer that question. But again, you'll never know when the answer will come. Will it, be co- will it come at the beginning of the uh, program or near the end? You'll have to stay tuned to find out when the answer will be revealed Uh Just that level of intrigue for you. The committed. We're going to go over the committed. And uh, then we'll cover loving your master. Hmm. Who is the master? We're going to dive into that one. The power of speaking in tongues. Ooh, that's a subject too many people don't like to cover, but we're going to dive into it. The priority of prayer. Ooh, there we go. See, all these things, just sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. Sacrifice of yourself. Staying faithful in the Father's house. Ooh, another form of sacrifice. Divinely human. We're going to take a look at how John in the Bible was divinely human. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. And finishing off with the send-off, the feel-good story of the week. So let's dive right into this program this week. And it is going to be about... Like I said, overall theme all throughout all of these topics is sacrifice. Just keep that in the back of your mind. So what does it mean when I say turning manure into fertilizer? Well, let's take a look at the first topic of the week. God will keep things away from lazy people because you'll have to dig to get to it. Oof, yeah, you're gonna have to take that shovel and, and dig and get to it. You can't just expect God to, you know, make things easy for you all the time. Sometimes it's going to take some digging to get to it. If you want to see fruit, God will have to do some digging and tear some things up in your life. Oof. See? Sacrifice. It's it's painful. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you don't really want to go through it, but on the other side of it, oof, praise God, it's good. The pandemic has dug up and tore up so many families, lives, young people, so on and so forth. 
when God allows you to go through digging and tears up the ground, it's because he's preparing the ground. So understand that there's two mindsets you can have. Number one, you can have the comfort mindset. And number two, you can have the growth mindset. So the comfort mindset says, leave me alone this year because I'm not going to seek God. I'm not going to pray fast, spend time in the word, etc. This is not just another year. This is your year. Hallelujah. God will do mighty and powerful things in and through your life if you allow him to tear you up. Oh, you got to make that sacrifice and say, God, come in and tear me up. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But on the other side of it, oh, there's going to be blessing. Oh, there's going to be power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let the Holy Spirit dig deep into you and reveal things in you that'll change your life. And like I said earlier, it will hurt. There will be pain. There'll be discomfort, but it will be for your great benefit. Dig into a church and get and stay planted there. The church matters. I'll say it again. The church matters. Dig into the Bible and really read it. Don't just gloss over it or make it seem like it's a chore or whatever the case may be. Really get into it. Really study it. Really meditate on it because it, can, it has the power to change your life and God will speak to you through it. Read the Bible and it'll read you in very supernatural ways. So understand that not only if you read the Bible, it's going to read you. It's going to read your mail. It's going to tell you what's going on in your life. Understand that dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. The more you read it, the more it reads you. The more it reveals to you who you are and the mess that you're in and the decisions you make and why you make them. And it starts revealing things to you and pricking your conscience and awakening you to the things that are in your heart. Dig deep in worship and in prayer. Put God first. Make sure that when God starts digging, that you don't backslide. Because like I said, it's painful. And so typically the response of most humans is, well, I don't want that. So I'm just going to take my foot off the gas and coast and hope that God stops doing what he's doing because I, I can't tolerate this. This is, this is too much. And th that's the time, that's the point in your life where you need to stick it, stick, dig your heels in and stay with it even more and pray and fight and continue to make that sacrifice and to do what you need to do in Christ so that you can become stronger and wiser and a better steward and a better manager of the things and the talents and the gifts that he gives you. Make sure when things start turning in your life that you don't come to church less but that you come more. Make sure you don't cur start cursing God and blaming him and cursing the church and people when things get a little bit rocky. And don't let bitterness creep in and take a hold of your life. Understand that when God starts digging, it's always because he has a plan. You may not see it. You may not like it. But the reality is, is he has something at work in your life. And it's going to be for your great benefit. So stick with it and don't give up. Everything you've gone through and go through, God can and will turn it into fertilizer. So this is where I'm talking about turning the manure into fertilizer. God can use hard and smelly things that embarrass us to soften us and our hearts. He'll do this to cause us to come to an absolute end of ourselves and to break us, 
This way we rely on him and his goodness and not on ourselves. And like I said, this requires sacrifice because it's painful and it's not going to be fun all the time. But I'm telling you, stick with it. Continue to sacrifice and you'll see the, you'll reap the great and incredible rewards of this in the end. If not here on earth, then in heaven. Hallelujah. God will turn all the things you've gone through and go through into manure that'll fertilize you and cause you to come up. And what the devil thought would destroy you actually caused you to come up where you never would have had you not gone through that digging. That's what I'm talking about. He's going to turn the manure, the hard things in life, the difficult things, the, the torn up ground, the dug up ground into fertilizer to make you and to cause you to thrive. Take a look at Philippians 3 verse 8. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for our good. Are you going to play? Are you going to mess around? You're just going to go through the motions or are you going to pray? So are you going to play games with God this year and go through the routines, the motions, the, you know, just, just mess around? Or are you going to be serious and get down on your knees and start praying? Most sermons don't even make it out of the parking lot. Let me say that again. Most sermons don't even make it out of the parking lot. Is this what you allow to happen when you're preached to? Because it shouldn't. Sermons should make it to your car. They should make it to your house. They should make it to your dinner table, your breakfast table, where you eat lunch, where you work in conversations with your friends and your coworkers in just in every aspect of your life. You should be meditating on the sermons that you hear. You should be allowing them to become a part of your life and change your life for the betterment of the kingdom of God and yourself. But the reality is, is that most of them get stuck in the parking lot and then in one ear and out the other and you forget and you move on. And the conviction and the power to change and all this stuff gets lost in the shuffle of life. And you ought not to let that ever be the case for you, for your life, for the kingdom of God, because it's awful. You ought to want to make things happen for the betterment of the kingdom of God. And because he wants to change you, he wants you to thrive and to not just survive. So quit blaming everybody and everything else for your condition and get into the word and pray. Like, um, oh gosh, I can't remember who said it. But as for me, uh, Joshua, as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that your mindset and your mentality? Because it ought to be. Again. This is your year. So what are you doing to make it your year? Favor and grace will find you this year when you're doing God's will and when you're praying, when you're reading his word and fasting and worshiping him and doing the things that he wants you to do to make it so that it can be your year. The Holy Spirit won't be outdone by demons and devils. He's gonna outrun the power of the enemy in your life and in the lives of those who serve God. God's going to restart your heart and dreams and the hearts and dreams of our young people because it's gotten out of rhythm. This year, God, restart my heart. This ought to be something you say. So I'm going to repeat it just for you right now. Say this, this year, God, restart my heart. Allow God to use all the things you've gone through to be used as fertilizer for the mistakes in your life or for miracles in your life. I'm sorry. So I'll say that again. 
Allow God to use all the things you've gone through to be used as fertilizer for miracles to take place in your life. So is this going to be your year? Or is this going to be the year where you just let the devil win? You let the devil kick you around and bust you up because you don't want to make the sacrifice. You don't want to have to go through the hard things. You just want to coast and forget about life and just live an easy free ride and all this stuff? Or are you going to allow things to really be shaken up for the betterment of the kingdom of God and make that sacrifice and that commitment to God to say, you know what? It may hurt. It may suck. I may have to go through some things. Some things may have to change. But at the end of the day, not my will, but your will be done. And I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And I'm willing to allow that manure in my life. I'm I'm willing to let that be turned in... Please, God, turn that into fertilizer for miracles to take place in my life this year so that I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind, so that I can be more committed to you, so that I can be a better, the best version of myself that I can be for my family, for my kids, for my coworkers, for everybody. You ought to live your life in such a way that people come up to you in the working environment and just in life, even your family members, and they ought to ask you, what is your secret, you know? Like, what, what is it that you have? What is it that you're doing that's different? That's not what I'm doing. Because I want to tap into what you're tapping into so that I can become a better person, a better version of myself. That's just what it is. So moving into the next topic, is praise a sacrifice? Well, quickly, <laughs> right off the bat, praising God is a sacrifice. The reason he says this is because it's not always easy to praise him. And it's not always something that comes natural to people. So God says it's a sacrifice sometimes. Sometimes you've got to give God praise and you don't want to, but you ought to do it anyways, especially when times are tough. God is so beyond worthy of our praise. And so if he says that we should continually offer the sacrifice of praise, then we ought to be doing it. You may not feel like praising or lifting your hands, in praise, but raise them anyways. You may not feel like lifting your voice, but lift it anyways. If you don't have a problem shouting and praising and lifting your voice at sporting events and at concerts and so on and so forth, then you should have absolutely no problem praising God in church and in other environments and places. Because the reality is, is God will do more for you than any of those things ever can or ever will. So it's worth it to praise him far beyond praising concerts or teams or musicians or so on. The people that don't praise God are typically the ones with a lot or the most problems. So the ones that aren't praising God are the ones that ought to be praising him the most because they have the most problems in their life. They're going through the most. And yet, for some reason, they take their foot off the gas thinking that if they praise him less, somehow they're going to get through it when it should be the opposite. It's like, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Praise him more when you're going through it, not less. People who praise God receive a certain favor from God. Where people praise God, he dwells there and comes to them and to their hearts. His grace and favor gives them strength. We need God's presence and we need his strength. Like I just said, if you're going through it, if you're going through difficult times, praising him will give you the strength you need to get through those difficult times. I highly recommend you get into Psalms 148, three verse three through 13. Take a dive into it and really read it. Praising God 
will send the devil on the run. Everything, I repeat, everything was created to praise the Lord. We, as humans, are the crown of God's creation, the Bible says. Nothing God's created has a choice when it comes to praising him except us, humans. Humans are given choice and free will, and therefore we have the choice to not praise God or to praise him. Praise is a sacrifice, which means that everybody can do it. If it's uncomfortable, you sacrifice your comfort, sacrifice your pride, because how people look at you when you praise God is far less important than you giving God glory. When you praise God, you open up some kind of spiritual portal between you and heaven because God is drawn to praise. God's excited when you praise him. You can't give God money. He owns it all. You can't say things to flatter him and increase his value. He's self-sufficient. The reality is he didn't have to create any of us. So the one thing that you can give God is praise. That reason is why he created us. It's what Psalm 148 teaches us. That's why I said it's so valuable that you read it and really study it. To choose not to praise God is almost like an affront in God's face. You ought not to want to miss out on what God wants to do in your midst, but you will if you don't praise him. If you want breakthrough in your life, then you must praise God because he's drawn to it. Don't just praise God when your pockets are full of money. Praise when they're empty too. When you say you don't feel like praising God because you're having a bad day or you've received bad news or something bad has happened to you, praise him even more. Because that type and kind of praise is a sacrifice and has to be pushed out. And you ought to push it out because it can have the power to change your life, your attitude, your mindset, your mood, your outlook, and so on. This is powerful stuff. God visits where people are praising him. Get your praise on. You establish praise in your life and backsliders will find an altar and sinners will be moved to get their hearts and lives right. When you praise God, you enter into a special dynamic that brings his favor on and in your life. Psalm 54, 6, I will freely praise the Lord. David was a praiser. To offer praise to God, there are some things you might have to forego to do it. So forego them and get your praise on. Praise him. Worship him. Do it because it'll have the power to transform your life for the betterment of your of his kingdom. Acts 16, 23 through 26 is something I highly recommend you take a look at and study. What can God loose in your life if you praise him? He loosed the chains of Paul, Silas, and the rest of the prisoners and opened all the doors and all Paul, Paul and Silas did was praise him. The next time a disaster, or I'm sorry, a doctor or a lawyer or whomever gives you bad news and a bad report, praise God and give it to God. And maybe he just might lose some things. You have to overcome two things. One, unbalanced biblical teaching. That's number one. And basically, we're going to dive right into what all that entails. This is where some preachers say that God will deliver you from things, but what they're not ta- talking, you, what they're not telling you is that sometimes God will deliver you through things. 
and not from things. God doesn't always take difficulties out of your life. Sometimes he delivers you through the difficulty because the testimony is greater on the other side. When the three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fiery furnace, God didn't deliver them from the fire. He sustained them in the fire because sometimes God will come in the fire with you. And that's a completely different thing. The unbalanced biblical teaching has really messed a lot of people's minds up because they're not being prepared for anything difficult. And so because of that, you have such weak Christians that at the first sign of difficulty, they backslide. At the first sign of anything bad, they give up on God instead of praising him anyhow. You ought to understand that God never promised you a bed of roses, that he didn't promise you that everything was going to go right, but that he did promise you that he'll be with you and that he won't ever forsake you. And sometimes he'll come in the fire and difficulty with you. Amen. People aren't learning the sacrifice of praise. They're not getting it. Because of this, it's weakened the Christian church. And in these last days, the last thing we need is a weakened Christian church. We need a stronger Christian church, not a weaker one. Sacrifice of praise means glorifying God as a higher priority than your own convenience. It means you're glorifying God as a higher priority than even your own comfort. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even if God were to slay Job, he made up his mind that he was going to still praise God. It's so extremely powerful. Job 121, if the Lord gives it, he'll praise him. And if he takes it, he'll still praise him. This is why Job was a survivor and why so many people give up on God and are no longer sitting in church today. The second thing you must overcome is faith teaching. It's number two. Faith teachers and healers have taught people that faith is this magical something that you can just speak over something and it'll come to pass as if you have witchcraft working through your lips. I'm just going to speak over this Mercedes Benz and it'll be mine. If this is the kind of stuff you watch or listen to, you're most likely losing your mind. Thank God that we can believe him for things and that you can pray in faith and move mountains. Balance biblical teaching is that faith can bring breakthroughs, but faith can also hold you and anchor you in some of the most difficult times of life. And for proof of that, I highly recommend you read and study Hebrews Hebrews 11 verse 1, 6 through 8, 23, 30, 32 through 39, all in the 11th chapter. Praise God because he is worthy of our praise. The first part of Hebrews 11 talks about all the good things and blessings people in the Bible did and received. But what faith preachers and healers leave out is the end of Hebrews 11, where people had faith but went through horrible and tragic things and yet still had faith and praised God anyways. This is the balanced biblical teaching. To sum it all up, praise God because he is worthy of it in the good times and in the bad times. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. The devil can't stand it when you praise God. So praise God. Hallelujah. It's not easy to praise God in and through the storms of life. But let me tell you how worth it it truly is when you make that commitment and that sacrifice and say, you know what? Through it all, through all the ups, through all the downs, through all the highs, through all the lows, 
I'm going to choose through everything to praise you because that's what's you're worth it. You're, it's, it's just that simple. He is worthy of praise. He's worthy of that commitment, of that sacrifice because of what he did upon that cross. If you get nothing else in life, what he did upon that cross for you is beyond enough, is more than enough for you to say, you know what, I'm going to praise you. And it's really easy to praise God when things are going good, when your sports teams are winning. But when things are going tough and you feel like you're going through it and you're in the valleys and you feel like there's no way out and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, that's when we as humans and you as a human, you want to praise him the least. You don't even have praise be a thought that comes across your mind, but it ought to be the thing you do the most. It ought to be the thing you sacrifice in doing and choosing to do the most. And you ought to create this ingrained mentality and this pathway in your brain that becomes so automatic that in the difficult times of life, you just stop everything you're doing and say, you know what, I'm going to praise you because in and through, I don't see what you're working out in this time right now. And in this difficulty, whatever it is, maybe it's finances. I don't see this, how this is working out for the better betterment and the benefit of your kingdom, but I'm going to praise you in and through it anyways. Because I know that if not here on earth, then in heaven, there will be great rewards and I will, ha- be, I will have been benefited from it so greatly that it won't even be a thought that crosses my mind. And then five years down the road, you'll look back at it and go, man, he really worked that out for my good. I didn't see it then, but I definitely see it now. And that's where you ought to be in life. You ought to say, man, you know what? I may not always see things right up front, but when you get that view from behind, you look at it five years down the road, you look back at it and you go, you know what, man, God, you really did meet the need there. You really did work that out for your good. And the other part of it is you ought to write this stuff down so that you can have the ability to look back in five years and see through other difficult times that you go through five years later, you can see how God got you through in that time five years prior and how he can still get you through the difficult time you're going through the five years later. So it's really powerful to write this stuff down. But the most important thing is praise him. So do it. Praise him. Do you ever wonder what it'd be like to be able to listen to each and every episode seamlessly and without the interruptions of ads and sponsorships? Well, we've got some great news for you today. We've listened and are now doing something about it for you. Say hello to ad-free and sponsorship-free listening and many, many more exclusive benefits when you become a Crusader Plus today. To find out more about how you can become a Crusader Plus today, go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or episode description. Once on the website, click on the link No Truth Culture Plus under the No Truth Culture category. Follow No Truth and myself, Mr. Misunderstood, on all major social media platforms by going to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once you're on the website, click on social media. Become a Crusader Insider for free today by going to our website links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once you're on the website, just scroll to the bottom of the page and fill out your full name and email address in the proper fields and hit submit. And you'll officially be a Crusader Insider, which is going to gain you access to insider information, all the latest and greatest new things happening within our podcast franchise, companies, 
all the updates, promotions, offers, and future merchandise that's going to be coming soon and much, much more. You won't want to miss it. So make sure that you become a Crusader Insider today. The Bible trivia for the week. Is God committed to you when you sin? The simple answer is yes. And we're about to dive in to what that means in greater detail in this upcoming topic right now. The committed. God is committed to you. So we're going to look at a couple of things. A, he's a construction worker. Jesus will finish what he started in you. Your confidence, hope, peace, and joy doesn't flow out of your commitment to Jesus, but out of his commitment to you. That is the promise of God. Jesus is a builder and you are his building project because you need to be remodeled. Amen. Jesus doesn't show up get the first check, and then disappear on you. He's committed to finishing his work that he's begun in you and is actively involved in you and is constantly working in your life. There are things that you want to keep that he wants you to get rid of. The building project won't be done until you cross the finish line. In other words, until you meet Jesus, until you die. So understand, he's a good shepherd. Look at John 10 verse 9. In John 17, verse 12, I highly recommend you read those scriptures and study them. When the lamb or sheep strays, the shepherd goes after it. So understand, he's the promise keeper, which is C. B is, he's the good shepherd. C is, he's the promise keeper. Jesus will work on you for as long as you allow yourself to be worked on. That's his promise and commitment to you. But you have to be allowing him to work on you. He won't just force his way on you. That's the beauty of free will and him giving you that choice. The book of Revelations is nothing more than the book of God's promises kept. Look at Revelations 19, 11 through 14. Jesus is faithful and true. So let's take a look at what does commitment look like? This is not human commitment. Nobody's committed to anything. And it's all about me and self today. Look at 2 Timothy 3 verses 2 through 4. God's commitment to you and I. Number one, God's committed to us even when we're not committed to him. So that's the answer to the Bible trivia question for the week. Basically, God's committed to us even when we're not committed to him, even when we fall short. 2 Timothy 2 verses 12 through 13. The loving hand of God will sometimes whack you upside the head when you're not going in the right direction. Take a look at Psalm 139, 7 through 8. Whether you're at the top or at the bottom and making your bed in hell, God's still there and committed to you. So much hostility and hatred towards the church today is a direct result of conviction. Throw a rock in a pack of dogs and the one who got hit barks the loudest. Number two, God is committed to us even when we fail him. So even when we sin, that is the direct answer to the question for the Bible trivia of the week. The answer is yes. He is committed to us even when we fail him. He meets us always at the point of our weakness, not our strength. I will repeat. He meets us always at the point of our weakness, not at our strength. God's commitment to us is not only there when we are good. It's also there when we're bad, messed up, and lost. Take a look at Psalm 34, verse 18. I highly recommend study and read it. Why is it that we have an urge to run from God instead of to him when we sin and fall short? You ought to be asking yourself this very question. 
because it is so powerful and it's so thought-provoking and true. When we sin and when we fall short, our instincts are to run from him instead of running to him when we ought to run to him closer and not from him. But we, for some reason, we think that when we fall short and when we sin, we're done, we're doomed, we're headed for hell. He's, you know, he's waiting for us with a two by four to smite us dead at the first sign of sin and corruption and unrighteousness in our lives that we can't possibly think that the best thing we could do for ourselves when we fall short is to run to him. When it's exactly what we ought to be doing is running to him and not from him. The Bible's clear that he's committed to us even when we sin and he makes provision. Look at Hosea or Hosea 3 verse 1. God is not one who ceases being committed to you when you've broken your commitment to him. That is so powerful. God is not one who ceases being committed to you when you've broken your commitment to him. You ought to be smiling and rejoicing at that powerful, powerful truth. Number three, God is committed to us to the point of death. Look at Romans 5 verses 6 through 9. Jesus didn't die for you on your best day. He died for you on your worst day. I will repeat because this is something you ought to write down. You ought to laminate this, frame it, hang it on your wall. Look at it before you get up, when you, right when you get up every morning, when you shower, when you brush your teeth, when you go to work, while you work, when you go home, before you go to bed, you ought to be reading this. Jesus didn't die for you on your best day. He died for you on your worst day. His commitment to you was to death. Understand that. Understand that he is committed to you even when you're not committed to him. And even on your worst day, he's still committed to you. He wasn't just committed to us to his death, but also to our death. God is not done with you. So get rid of the expiration date in your mind about when you think you'll give up and understand he's with you until you reach the finish line. So don't give up on God. Jesus went all the way to Calvary and died so that he can stay with you until you die, committing to his commitment. All God wants is for you to commit to him. Look at John 17 verse 12. He wants to keep you. Understand that God in all his power will make you be saved, won't, will not make you be saved and right with him. You must choose it for yourself. Nobody can take you away from salvation, but you can walk away from it. Human commitment is frail, so understand that. But nevertheless, it's enough to touch the throne of God. So even though human commitment is frail, it's still enough to touch the throne of God. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Jesus can and wants to change your life. The Bible says you'll always find God when you have a broken heart and a contrite or sorrowful spirit. So understand that that's what it takes to come to God and to start that commitment with him is to have that contrite heart and that broken spirit and that willingness to say, you know what? I am messed up. You know what? I do fall short of your glory. But in and through it all, you are there to pick up my shattered parts, to turn this mess into a masterpiece. If I but make the commitment to serve and honor you and fear you, repent of my sins, turn my back on my sins, turn away from them, change my mind and trust in you. So don't view sin as though it's okay, it's good. Change your mind about the view of how you view sin and understand that he wants you to live a righteous and holy life. But that even if you do fall short, which we're human, we will. 
you will fall short. Understand that he's still there. And that when you do fall short, run to him and not from him because he will help you. He helped David. David screwed up pretty badly with Bathsheba and then sending Bathsheba's husband into war to kill him. And he did get killed. And so he messed up pretty hardly and pretty badly. And then the prophet Nathan came to him and called him out on it. And guess what he did? He didn't run from God. He ran to him and said, you know what? I've fallen short. And he repented. That's why God says that David's a man after his own heart. Because when he fell, fell short, he didn't run from God. He ran to him and he did it immediately. He didn't wait. And so that's what you ought to be doing. It's the exact same thing. Don't run from God, run to him and say, you know what? I'm not going to wait until, quote unquote, I'm clean. You know, as, as people in this world, you have the mindset that you can only come to God when you're clean and when everything's right. And that's like, you can only get in the shower when you're already clean. Well, the whole point of the shower is to get you clean. Well, the whole point of God is to help you get clean. So why would you wait to get showered or to get right with God to be right first? It doesn't make any sense. In order to get right with God, you have to go to God. You can't get right first and then go to God. It doesn't work that way. You can't get clean first and then shower and get clean. It doesn't make any sense. So God is the shower, figuratively, where you can get clean spiritually. So run to him to get clean. He'll help you. He'll help you pick up the shattered pieces of your life and help you fix up what you, what's broken. And like I said, turn that master or turn that mess into a masterpiece and change your life for the betterment of his kingdom and help you to not just survive in life, but thrive. God didn't call his children, you, his child, to just uh, survive in life. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to be something great for his kingdom and for the betterment of his throne. And how you can do that and how you can be that is by first realizing that you need, you're more than a conqueror. You're more than just somebody that's, oh, I'm just going to survive today. No, how about you just thrive today instead of survive? You know, don't run to him in prayer just because you need to survive or because you need something from him. He's not a genie. He's not a slot machine or a gumball machine where you can just come to him and put in a quick quarter and pop it out and get something good out of him and feel good about yourself. It doesn't work that way. He's more than that. So utilize God and his throne and his will for your life to his fullest extent because there's so much more there for you. So use him for the betterment of his kingdom and for the betterment of yourself. God will never demand that you love him or force you to do it. He lets you choose to do it and wants you to do it because you genuinely love him and want to serve him. Look at Exodus 21 verse 2, John 14 verse 15, and just really study those scriptures. Don't just get in or start serving God. Stay in and finish strong or finish serving God for the rest of your life. John 6 verses 66 through 68. I highly recommend you read these scriptures, understand them, allow them to really minister to you and really meditate on them. Jesus gives us an open door to freely serve him or to freely walk away from doing so. Too many people are always trying to look for a way out. So why, why look for a way out? Look for a way in. Don't be here about you. Be here about him. Don't be serving him for your benefit, but for his. Those that truly love Jesus aren't looking for a way out. They're looking and waiting for his return. 
for a way in, a way further into his kingdom and, and for eternity at that. The only way out is up heaven for the one who truly loves God. Don't just go to church to go. Understand that it's a personal relationship with Jesus he offers you. Look at Acts 16 verses 25 through 27. Study them. I really recommend you do so. You know you're not a prisoner because if you're a prisoner, when you can leave, you leave. But when you are freed and liberated by the spirit of Jesus Christ, you don't leave and you don't want to leave. You'll never stay serving God if you don't plainly and boldly say and declare you love him, your master. If somebody flirts with you, it's because you're sending out the wrong signals. Because when you send out the right signals, you are that you're happily married and that you have that you love your spouse, you don't have to worry about that stuff. You'll always struggle until you make up your mind to say it plainly that you love your master. Wherever you go, your message ought to be Jesus. So is your message Jesus? Or is it something of this world? What, what is it that you're declaring to others, to, to life, to so on and so forth? Don't ever apologize for godly convictions. I'll say it again. Do not ever apologize for godly convictions. Say it plainly. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm blood bought. I'm devil chasing. I'm Bible believing. Anoint me with oil. I'm spirit filled and so on. Do you understand that? I'm not ever going to be ashamed of that. Hallelujah. Amen. Nobody will accidentally make the rapture. So say it plainly or you'll be left behind. You can choose to walk out the open door and do what you want to do, or you can choose to serve God and live your life for him. But always know the door is always open for you to leave anytime you want to, but that you ought not to want to because you love him so much. He gives you free will and the power to choose to love him and always know he chooses to love you and won't ever stop doing so. I highly recommend you study Exodus 21 verse 4. If you choose to walk out that door, understand you can only leave with what you came in with. So God's peace, joy, favor, blessing, etc. They all stay and they don't go with you. If you come in with depression, loneliness, brokenness, emptiness, so on and so forth, that's all that goes with you when you leave. All that stuff will leave with you when you go. So do you really want to leave? Count the costs. When you serve the master, it's all or nothing. It's not you can have some of my life and I'll do my own thing. No, 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 no. If you give him your life, you serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In doing so, he'll order your steps and bless your life. Let the Holy Spirit be the only spirit that guides your life. This is powerful, powerful, earth shattering stuff like this this is deep powerful convicting life-changing stuff so let's take a look at the tongue the unruly tongue the human tongue is very small but extremely powerful look at proverbs 18 verse 21 life and death are in the power of the tongue those who love it will eat its fruits i highly recommend you study it that's a powerful scripture the tongue is like a boat's rudder it's small but steers extremely large things. The tongue can determine the direction and destiny of the individual. 
The tongue has the power to destroy things. Those who misuse the tongue are guilty of spiritual arson. What makes the tongue such a dead what makes the tongue such a deadly force? The tongue can damage at a distance. Look at Psalm 73 verse 9. The tongue is likened to an arrow because it can kill from a distance. The devil has a goal to set your tongue on fire for his purposes. Your tongue will either be surrendered to God or to Satan. The hearts of the hearers can be poisoned by what you speak. There's so much power in the words you say. Relationships that are meant to be unified can be destroyed by the tongue. Many people who've been delivered from alcohol, gambling, hard drugs, so on and so forth, still find the most difficult opponent to be the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. God, his Holy Spirit, and his son working in and through your life are the only ones who can tame the tongue. When he tames it, we confess that it's been tamed, but by the grace of God. Look at Psalm 141 verse 3. Never doubt or underestimate the power of the tongue. Don't ever underestimate it because it, it is extremely, extremely powerful. So how do we redeem the tongue? Well, let's take a look. Look at Acts 2 verses 1 through 4. Highly recommend you study them. Read them. When fire is used the right way, it purifies things. Your tongue can be purified for God's purposes when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. As you surrender to God, he'll begin to use your tongue to build up instead of tearing down. The enemy will always assault and wage war against speaking in tongues because he knows how powerful it is. The power of Pentecost is such a threat that the devil has to oppose it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is a starting point of surrendering your tongue for the service of God. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit brings you into a more intimate relationship with Christ. It's extremely powerful. The idea of us completely yielding to Christ is the fundamental thought behind the Spirit-filled life. That every phase of holy living and service must be a result of yielding to His power and to His presence. And it starts by yielding to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receiving this free gift from Jesus Christ. There are benefits of speaking in tongues. A lot of people aren't familiar with all the biblical truths and benefits that come with speaking in tongues. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 verses 18 and then if you back up and look at verse 2, highly recommend studying them. When the devil tells you when you speak in tongues that it doesn't sound like a language to, to him, tell him that's because you weren't talking to him. <laughs> because it's not a language that he'll ever understand because you're not talking to him. The Holy Spirit brings our beings increasingly more into the light. We are children of darkness before, but now we're children of light. Our hearts are evil and deceitfully wicked, and they hide things from us. The heart will try to trick you into thinking you're not a certain way, or that the attitude you have is just because you're tired or you haven't eaten yet. What the Holy Spirit does is he begins to speak mysteries to us. We're speaking in tongues, and he's downloading secrets of our own hearts revealing to us where we really are, what we're really doing, motives and intentions of our heart. He's bringing to the surface things that were previously hidden and possibly obstructing our growth in Christ. When we speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit downloads mysteries so we can see them and comprehend them finally. Speaking in tongues has the potential to solve the mysteries of our souls and personalities. Things like, why am I acting this way? 
Why do I always do this? Why am I behaving in such a manner? And when you speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit begins revealing things to you from your heart. The Holy Spirit can do what would take trained psychologists dozens of sessions to do. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4. When speaking in tongues, you edify yourself, which is the benefit of speaking in tongues. The word edify means to build up, to promote growth, or to grow in wisdom and holiness. We are directed to build ourselves up through Holy Spirit-enabled prayer, speaking in tongues, and in, by praying in tongues and in praying and understanding. It doesn't say that we're built up by our own power. No, it says that the power is His as the Holy Spirit flows through us as we speak in tongues. Look at Jude 1 through uh, verse 20. The connection is made that in order to build yourself up or grow in God, that you must speak in tongues and pray in the Holy Spirit. Again, look at 1 Corinthians 14 verses 14. Speaking in tongues makes you more able to cope with life's problems. And then if you take a look, keep looking at 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15. Your prayer is to be a dance woven between speaking in tongues and speaking in understanding. It can't be one without the other. It must be both. So understand that. It must be both. Another benefit of speaking in tongues is that it helps us in our weaknesses. Look at Romans 8 verse 26. Speaking in tongues will save your life. The Spirit makes intercession for us when we don't know what to say. So sometimes you'll get into prayer and you won't know what to say. You won't feel like praying. It's probably time you should start speaking in tongues because it'll just make you feel better about life and better about things. And it'll get you started up and spark that fire within you to start praying with understanding and uh, to have a fire shut up in your bones that'll get you ignited in your prayer life for that day. The Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is a means of strengthening you when you're facing temptation. So if you speak in tongues, it also strengthens you when you're in the midst of a temptation. That's powerful stuff. So when you're feeling tempted, pray in the spirit, pray in tongues. Tongues as a prayer language transcends the mind and allows the Holy Spirit to communicate directly to God through us. This is extremely powerful. And I really pray you don't miss that. So I'll repeat it. Tongues as a prayer language transcends the mind and allows the Holy Spirit to communicate directly to God through us. Speaking in tongues will oftentimes jumpstart your prayer life. Like I just said, another benefit of speaking in tongues is that it helps us pray according to the will of God. Look at Romans 8, 27. The final benefit of speaking in tongues is that it's an offensive weapon. That's a part of the armor of God that we can use to eliminate the devil, temptations, attacks, so on and so forth. Look at Ephesians 6, 17 through 18. A lot of people say that the only offensive weapon in the armor of God is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is partly true and partly incorrect. Yes, it's a part of the armor of God as it's a weapon. It's the shield of, or it's the um, sword of the spirit, which prayer is a weapon in the armor of God, but it's not a direct, it's not associated with a direct piece of armor, if that makes sense. But it still is a weapon that we can use, an offensive weapon that we can use to attack the devil. So in that sense, yes, it's part of the armor of God, and it's an offensive weapon. Praying with understanding and in the spirit by speaking in tongues is, like I just said, it's also an offensive weapon we are given in the armor of God. So if we are given this weapon, why aren't we using it? So use it. Use it to your great benefit when you're feeling the temptations come from this life, when you're feeling an assault, a direct attack that can't be described by anyone or anything. 
Don't just shuck it off as nothing or say that you've got this. You can do it on your own. No, run to God and say, you know what? I need help. I need your help, your guidance, your leadership, your direction, your counsel, your wisdom to help me fight the battles that I need to fight and wage the war back at the devil and make him flee and tremble. The devil's never going to stop waging war against you and against your soul. So how do you fight and how do you win? By using the sword of the spirit, by using the full armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, shield of faith, belt of truth, shoes of peace, and the sword of the spirit. Those first five I mentioned are all defensive weapons. The last one I mentioned is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What did Jesus do when he was tempted by the devil? In three different ways. He quoted scripture back, but not only did he do that, he was praying. So that's another offensive tool we are given, prayer. Be in that constant communication with God. The first sign of temptation, when you feel that temptation come on, what's the first thing I do when I feel temptation come on? Pray, seek God and say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. And the devil will lie to you and tell you that that is the biggest sign of weakness is that you need help. When in reality, that's the biggest sign of strength. I'll say it again. That is the biggest sign of strength is admitting that you first need God's help and that you're willing to seek him for it and to get that strength and the help that he can give you via his him, his son and his Holy Spirit, the Trinity working upon and within your life to transcend, to, to move mountains, to take those temptations and to flip them on their head and say, you know what? I rebuke you, devil. I cast you out. I plead the blood of Jesus against you. I say no more. I'm done with your temptation. I'm done with your assaults today and forevermore. And you have to do this constantly until the day you die. It's a war that you are in and the war is never over, never, ever over until you are dead and with him in paradise. So understand, you can't take your foot off the gas. You must keep pressing on. You can win this war. It's not a war you have to lose. So understand that and fight to win. Don't just fight, but fight to win. And make heaven your home. That when you're done and you finish your race, you can look up and God can say he's pleased with you and can say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. Isn't that what you want? Aren't those words you want Jesus to be able to utter? That he's not ashamed of you in the presence of his father because you weren't ashamed of him while you spent your life here on earth? You ought to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because if you're not, that's some scary territory to be entered into. But with that being said, it's time for the send-off, the weekly feel-good story of the week. It's coming to you live. Well, not live, but you know what I mean. Anywho, the feel-good story of the week is here. So what are we talking about? We could be talking about a lizard, maybe Lent, maybe Fish Fridays, maybe a house, maybe a fire, maybe some shrimp. No, we're going to be talking about Ohio's school bus driver called a hero after saving student from passing car. Let's get into this one. A school bus driver in Ohio is being praised as a hero after video shows her saving a student from being hit by a passing car. The woman's heroic actions were captured in a video shared by Tecumasa, whatever, I'm butchering that, I'm sure of it, local schools on Facebook on Thursday, February 23rd. The school district is located in New Carlisle, Ohio, about 20 miles northeast of Dayton. The video shows the school bus stopping to drop a student off, but before the young man exits the bus, the driver notices an oncoming vehicle attempting to pass the bus on the right. Whoa, wait, wait, no, no, stay, stay, the driver yells as she grabs the student by his backpack and jerks him back from the door. 
The passing car slows to a stop next to the park's bus, park school bus, with the lucky student still on board and safe. The local school shared this, the video with permission from the student's parent to spread bus safety awareness and celebrate the driver's actions. We are feeling very grateful this evening for the sh alertness and quick actions of one of our amazing bus drivers, the school district wrote on Facebook. The district urged viewers to be cognizant of school buses on the road and to never pass them when they are stopped. Today, our hero, our hero drove a big yellow school bus, the school said. Several members of the student's family com commented below the post to express their gratefulness to, for the driver. This woman is our family hero tonight, as this was my nephew, wrote Amy Mendenhall. Thank you for being so aware and protecting these children. We truly appreciate and are grateful for you. God bless her. Our grandson's so scary to see. Definitely had her eyes out for his safety, the boy's grandmother, Judy Mendenhall, wrote. Not enough thanks can be expressed to her for being observant and quickly stopping him. God was watching and praise her awesomeness. It is beyond deserved. Yeah, that's what hero heroism and acts of heroism heroism is all about. It's about seeing a need, meeting the need, and willing to make sacrifices of your own well-being and safety to make sure that you protect the safety and well-being of others. And that's not always the easiest thing to do, but it's the best thing you can do for the betterment of that person, the safety of their soul. Sometimes you have to put your own comfortability on the back burner and make the sacrifice to protect the life of a young, innocent child. And the fool that's trying to blow by a school bus on the right, well, that's another conversation entirely. Because, like I just said, foolishness is probably the word best to describe that action. But at the end of the day, the child's life was saved because of a hero heroic person who thought and saw a need and met the need and said no and grabbed the student by the backpack and did what was needed to be done. And I'm sure the student in the moment probably thought, why is this lady grabbing me now? I'm just trying to get off the bus. But the reality is there's a lesson to be learned even in that. The student probably thought the lady was crazy in the moment, but once seeing the big picture at the at, on the backside of it, probably thought in the moment, what is this lady doing? She's crazy. She's grabbing me by the backpack. I'm going to sue her. She's roughing me up. But then at the end of the day, when you look at the grand scheme of things from the bird's eye view, looking after and seeing, hey, you know what? This lady actually saved my life. She grabbed me by the backpack and roughed me up a little bit to make sure that I didn't just jump off a bus right into a car and get hit and die. So you really have to, it really gives you a lesson in looking at things through the right perspective. And sometimes you have to see it on the back side of it. After it all happens, you can look back at it and see it from the entirety of the view that God wants you to see it from. And this is a valuable lesson that can be learned in politics, in life, in marriages, in friendships and relationships. You know, sometimes in the heat of the moment, things can get said, things can be done that we may not understand. And we just want to quickly give a response, a knee-jerk response, when if we take a few minutes and wait for everything to go down and take a breath, take a beat, and look at it from the grand scheme of things, from its entirety, from the right view, because we can look at it after it all takes place and then analyze it correctly and then jump to or make the conclusions and say what needs to be said, you'll be better for it. So I guess the most valuable lesson in this feel-good story of the week is take time. Take the time to look at things from the right perspective and allow things to play out sometimes before you make a quick knee-jerk response take action. Sometimes you need to process things fully first. Oh, what a powerful thing this is. And if all we did, if everybody would follow this, 
we'd be living in a much better society and world today and culture for absolute sure. But again, the feel-good story of the week is simple. The woman saved the child's life. And with that, let's pray. Jesus, I come before you and I just pray for the person listening on the other end of this microphone into the headphones. They hear my voice and I pray and lift them to you and pray for their salvation, that they would but repent of their sins, change their mind, turn away from their sins, turn back, turn their backs on them, a complete 180, surrender their lives to you and accept you as their Lord and Savior and come to a place where they know that they need you and just have you change their life and their minds for the betterment of your kingdom. And I just pray that you'd help them to not just survive this upcoming week or the middle of the week or whenever they listen to this. I pray that you'd help each and every one of them to just speak words of life because death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. And I just pray that you would sanctify them, help them to hate their sin and to fall in love with you and to love you more now than ever before. To know that tomorrow can be different. That today is today, but tomorrow can be different. And to have a great vision and a focus on you and to thrive, to thrive in you. And I just thank you for each and every one of these people, for your convictions, for your power, for your authority, for your dominion. And I just pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. And with that, I bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to this episode. No Truth Culture is created, recorded, edited, and produced by our production company, Pearly Gates USA, which is owned and operated by our parent company, The Big Time USA. Make sure that you follow the podcast and turn the notifications on by hitting the icon so that you get alerted about every new episode as soon as it's released. Do you hate listening to ads and sponsorships? Well, say hello to ad-free and sponsorship-free listening and much, much more exclusive benefits when you become a Crusader Plus today. To find out more about how you can become a Crusader Plus today, go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or click on the link in the show notes or episode description. Once on the website, click on the link No Truth Culture Plus under the No Truth Culture category. To make a one-time financial gift, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or episode description. And once you're on the website, click on support. With your financial support, you make all of this possible. So thank you. Well, the Band-Aid has been ripped off. So it's time to ask yourself one final question. Has the truth set you free so that you can be free indeed? For myself, Mr. Misunderstood, and the rest of our team here at Pearly Gates USA and the Big Time USA, thank you so much for your loyal listening, and we look forward to you listening again next episode.